Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Podcast. I am your host, Barnabas Piper, filling in uh, with a distinct lack of capability for Ted Cluck, who's our normal host. But Ted is traveling back from Camp Kilt or uh, Camp Michigan, or what was the name of the camp? Do you remember, Ron? Um, I I don't know, but I do want to vamp on the fact that Ted is the only guy that's really old that still likes camps, and so we should discuss that. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I, I fascinating I'm, to me, absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and he gets well. Does he like camps or just this one? Because he he speaks in glowing terms about this camp, which you just need to listen to last week's episode to remember the name. Because I'm again not a very capable host and didn't do any homework. Um, the only thing I really remember is that Ted loved it and, and, uh, somebody sent us a picture of him in a kilt and I think he actually taught in it. So, yeah. And I think, and I, but I think he relishes all that. I think he has like a, a big T is funny. Cause I think he has a, a high, a high, like nostalgia for things of that nature, which to me, I look back on some of those things and they weren't all the worst moments I ever had in my life, but they are certainly something I would never want to revisit. Yeah, I I mean being a being a camp speaker is fun if but usually if you know some of the people there. Maybe he does. Maybe he has a great relationship with these people. Like that makes a big difference. But yeah, for like the leadership of the camp kind of a thing. Right. Yeah, if you know, you know, one of the youth pastors who's helping lead it or you know, right. it's the same camp, it's a camp you used to work at or something where there's because if you're the speaker while everybody else is off doing like their their canoeing and trust falls and whatever else like you you have nothing to do and so you know they're gonna go do the high ropes course and so you need somebody to hang out with or in probably in ted's case you're like no i want no one to hang out with i'm just gonna go and and be isolated and and uh, really enjoy solitude i could see ted very much yeah I, i can see him doing that but i also see big t i also see him i also see him just sort of loving the environment and just thinking like oh man i just this is where I had all those great times when I was 13 and I just see him kind of like really like love, like it, it bringing him back to like this particular environment that brings up all these glory days. He would also absolutely seek out the, the fringe kids. Yeah. You no, know, for like sure. the, the yeah. awkward goof, like for example, the kids who wear kilts at camp. Yeah. Like it, it is of zero surprise that Ted befriended that kid. Well, yeah, no, I just think they flock to him. Look at those glasses, man. In hair. I mean, I think they just, they just flock to him. Pipe. I mean, when you look at Ted, you think, absolutely, he would love a kilt. There's you look no at question. Ted, you think fringe kid. I mean, because you're looking at fringe old guy. So, you know, it's that simple. You know. Well, it's, but it's not because he's also like, of, of the three of us, he's very clearly the jock. He doesn't have the jock persona, but he's the former college athlete and the former semi-professional uh, football player and boxer and whatever else. And like, I love sports, but but Ted is a higher level competitor than I ever was, and and yet he is still sort of the fringe kid. Yeah, I know. There's like there's complexities because he's not. You know what I mean? Like when you look at his image and then you look at like what he what he does and what he's involved with and what his you know where his passions lie. I mean, if you, you put that on paper and then you get a then you get a photo of him and you're just sort of you're looking at it and you're going, help, help me, help me here. I need a minute. I need a minute to process this. So it's interesting. Yeah, he's know? it's a good thing we do this podcast every week because we can we can, you know, pick at these threads and start to unravel some of these knots that are Ted Cluck, especially Absolutely. when he's not around to defend himself. So, yeah, they're just there's just complexities, man, is all it is. Yes. We're all dealing with complexities. Quite. Yeah. 
what what did he say his Enneagram number was? Because I feel like that's always a good thing to bring up when someone's complex. I think he said I think he said he was me. I think he said he was a four three. Okay, that sounds yeah. that sounds familiar. And yeah, I can I can absolutely see sort of that that uniqueness, the the pursuing uh, the pursuit of being unlike everyone else. That's that is Ted in a nutshell. So um, there, we just solved his complexities. He's there. A, it is. We're he's done. an Enneagram four. Let's call him a resourceful one, and uh, let's Rachel the Held Evans on out of here. Right, we're done. All Good right. one. Um, well, actually, we're not because we have some business to attend to, and then maybe we can give people a real episode. Um, business as- uh, aspect of this podcast, because that's what we do. We make tons of money on this. Um, we brag about it. We have people ask us about our tax brackets when we do live events. Um, we are nothing if not uh, if not a resourceful podcast. Uh, our sponsor for today is Waterbrook Multnomah with the book called Walk On by Ben Malcolmson. Uh, if you've never heard of Ben Malcolmson, um, that probably puts you right in line with everybody else. And that's kind <laughs> of the point of this book. It's not it's a book about football and faith, but not because he's a star football player, but because uh, when he was at University of Southern California, when Pete Carroll was the coach there, the football coach there. So kind of during their their peak years. He was a student journalist, worked for the school newspaper, and walked on to the team. So went through the walk-on drills, the walk-on practices, just for the the experience as a reporter. And as a shock to himself, he made the team. Um, wow. And so then, so this, the the book is the story of him being on that team, figuring out how to uh, represent Christ in the locker room, trying to witness to his teammates with, by his own admission, uh, no fruit whatsoever that he saw at the time. Um, but then a few years after graduation, he ended up as an assistant coach under Pete Carroll at the Seattle Seahawks, where Coach Carroll still is during, again, sort of their peak years. Come to find out that some of the uh, some of his ministry efforts on the college football team actually led a guy to faith shortly before his death. And mm. so that was sort of the it's kind of the seminal moment that led to the book but also just this unique feeling led into this crazy competitive football world he hadn't played football since he was in 5th grade when he walked onto the team so you know he wasn't like a high school jock with a high opinion of himself um and so just a story of god walking him through that the the context it's put him in to be a a witness in a unique place. So again, the book is called Walk On by Ben Malcolmson. Just came out a few weeks ago. It's from Waterbrook Multnomah. We appreciate their sponsorship. If you are a football fan or a fan of the underdog, uh, that's this is one worth checking out. Um, Walk On by Ben Malcolmson. So thanks to them for sponsoring. Um, now, I guess we should move on to real podcast things. Like, Hold on the pipe. Let me ask you, man. Oh, I mean, right. this is not, I mean, I, I think our listeners, and, and this is what they're thinking right now. This is what's going on in their heads. Uh, this would not be a book that, uh, that Big R in, in any remote world or, or other planet would be interested in. Is that what we're, can we safely assume that? Well, I actually had a question for you about that because you are also a complex person. And while you are um, a, a devoted non-sports fan... You are also a devotee of sports movies. That's true. That's but true. I don't know if sports books fall under the same auspices as sports movies. I mean, they might. I, I mean, I like a good bio like as much as anybody, and I'm not really that concerned about the topic. If it's a good bio, it's a good bio, you know? Okay. Um, it kind of makes you interested in the topic, even if you weren't before you started. So, um, 
Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I'll have to give maybe I'll have to give Rock On a, a try. You know, <laughs> Rock On. I, mean, I, I bet if you Googled Rock On, you're going to find like I don't know a uh, an Axl Rose <laughs> biography, which is probably also fascinating. Maybe a little different story. Yeah, absolutely. There, no, I I love sports biographies, especially because to me, they're like sports is sort of just the. It's the filter through which it views the world. So there's, you know, if it's a good one, there's a ton of history, there's a ton of sociology, there's a ton of cultural stuff, and sports yeah. is just sort of the context. It's, I mean, the same would be true for a good biography of a musician or an actor or mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, biographies of pastors are, by and large, the most boring books in the world. I'm just going to put that <laughs> out there. Um, sorry, uh, Christian publishers, but Pipe, I'm going to stop, stop. Where? Hold on, let me just cancel. Let me stop writing my bio right now. I'll oh, and auto and shelf. autobiographies are by and large the other <laughs> worst books in the world because nobody has worse opinions than people's opinions about themselves. Um, anyway, rant over on that topic. So, Ronnie, I wanted to ask you about something. It, it's an interesting thing because it, it's hit the sports world and the entertainment world. We have seen it in the church world. And it's this phenomenon of people getting crushed for old mistakes. Mm. So recently, for example, Disney uh, fired somebody, the Disney Corporation fired somebody for tweets that were several years old. And they were tweets that probably deserved to get somebody fired. The question is if they weren't discovered for, you know, six, seven, eight years do they still deserve to get somebody fired? The same thing happened to a professional baseball player during the All-Star game. Um, somebody dug up some tweets from when he was in high school, and he said some awful racist and sexist things, and he's getting crushed for it. But he's 25 now, and there's usually a significant difference between a 17-year-old and a 25-year-old. Um, and then you think about the church world. Guys like Mark Driscoll uh, have, have never regained mm -hmm. you know, our respect or our trust. And and so I'm just like, that's the context. There's not a specific question as much as, I guess the question is, we all want second chances, but we are not willing to give a second chance. So what do we do with this phenomenon of just crushing people for old sins? Yeah, man, it's, I mean, it's a really, it's a good question because, you know, what you're asking is, is there like a statute of limitations when it comes to second chancing somebody really and or, or is I, there like is there like a checklist somebody has to go through because that's the other thing is like is it is it, did they have to do something to prove that they have earned their second chance i mean that's the the problem with that is like how the problem with that is is how do you do that you know so i think when you know when things because because we're living in the age we're living in everybody can you know everybody can draw up things that happened you know decades ago now because everything is Everything is essentially saved forever. Everything's retrievable. Um, so, I, man, like the implications of that are, um, yeah, it goes back to what you're saying. I mean, I, I guess character matters and we got to be able to determine, um, you know, is there was, you know, do we all allow ourselves certain areas and certain periods of our lives when we said things or we did things that we're out of line. And then we have to define, well, what, how out of line is too out of line? And then, um, you know, how, how do we move on from that? I, I, it's a, I think it's actually pretty complex, to be honest, because, I mean, it, it, you know, when you talk about, I mean, that's, this brings us back to, you know, Harvey Weinstein, you know, and all of these types of things, right? Where, like, you got this dude who is now being called, 
you know, to the carpet for like things that he did that he should be called to the carpet for. And um, so then you have things of that nature that are that serious. Um, so then now now we're trying to figure out what is what is serious enough and then not serious enough for things from our past to be able to implicate us today. Right. Right. And and I want to be careful not that we we don't give a lot of caveats on this, but if people are aware of any of the situations I'm talking about, I will. I mean, I think both of us are in complete agreement that the sins that these people committed, you, the racism, sexism, verbal abuse, and Weinstein's case, sexual assault. Yeah, those, those are we're not downplaying those things. Of course, at yeah. all. It's it's a matter of what what does a second chance look like? Um, you know. What would Mark Driscoll have to do to earn the trust of, I don't know, the Gospel Coalition again? Uh, what what does, um, I think his name was James Gunn, I can't remember, but the, the Disney guy, what does he have to do to show that he's a changed man from the guy who tweeted pretty abhorrent things? Same with Josh Hader with the Milwaukee Brewers pitcher. You know, he at 17, he said really racist things. Yeah. Well... 17 year old saying do some really dumb stuff that doesn't justify it but like how much how much contrition is enough contrition i don't yeah i don't, I don't know how, yeah, i don't know how to like i don't know how to gauge this from the outside and i think the flip side of this is what business do we have sort of the the mass public condemning somebody well yeah i mean i think yeah and i would say that that's two different issues on on one hand i mean you know, the mass public has the right to, to diss on anybody because that's just the world we live in. So if, if you're, if, you know, if, if something's being reported, if something goes on social, uh, you know, we're, we're allowed to have an opinion on that. And most of the time we're going to have a negative opinion and an unforgiving opinion of people because, you know, it, it's just easier to not forgive people than it is to say, you know what, um, you know, I can look at my own life and see that you see the mistakes I've made. And so I, w- I would like to have some compassion here. I would like to give the benefit of the doubt and maybe think that, you know, 12 years later, somebody can change. I, you know, I think the the bigger question is there are certain things we allow people to, to, to have that change with. And then there are other things that we we just don't we don't allow it. So if somebody's made racist comments, or if they did things, you know, if they did things, you know, that kind of fall within that range, I, I don't know that we feel like we're allowed to um, allow people to move beyond that. Like there's always going to be distrust and a suspicion, right? It seems mm-hmm. like. And so I don't know how somebody I don't know how somebody is able to prove themselves, especially if they were public figures and how to get back into the graces of everybody. Now, they can get back into the graces of the people and that would probably affect whether they could get a job or not if they if they and you've seen that you see that in Hollywood. I mean, dude, it's stunning to think that like some people like some of the things that people have said and done. And yet they're like take Tom Cruise for for a, for an example. I mean, <laughs> I mean, dude, that I mean. Like I just it was so crazy because I saw I don't know how it popped up, but I saw some clip of that Matt Lauer thing he did, which, again, there was nothing technically you know wrong, wrong with that. But just the fact that he looked insane and he was angry and then, you know, some of those things he was doing at that time. Mm-hmm. And everybody just everybody just thinks everybody just thought of him as being like this kind of this Hollywood quack. And then he's just kind of able to – everybody's still going to go see his movie this weekend, right? And it's just like – it's one of those things where like we forgive some people some things, 
But then there's like other things where we literally, we absolutely will not let them come back from. So I don't know. I don't know what the line is. When it, I I think it's there. There's sort of. It seems like there's sort of a societal ranking of like of the unforgivable sins. Right. Um. And so I mean, it's it's funny. Like you you parse it a certain way. Like if you are outspokenly racist against Jews in Hollywood or in you know in a public context, that tends to get washed away. If you're outspokenly mm. racist against black people, it's not. Like, mm. that's that in our current day and age. Well, and unless you're in politics, then you can get away with all sorts of things. But uh, it, th- those are those are two different things. If you are if you if you sexually assault somebody, that's unforgivable. If you commit sexual infidelity, that's water under the bridge. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know, and so I mean, and I don't just mean like. We we all recognize that sex outside of marriage and society is not a thing. Nobody cares about that. Um, but I'm talking about like if you cheat on a spouse, that can be water under the bridge. But if you if you assault somebody, that's you know that's unforgivable. And so there's just sort of this this arbitrary collection of, of like these are the sins that we have attached our ire to, and these other ones are are not as big of a deal. And and so just I, I think that's a weird piece of it too, um, you know like, and and it shifts over time too. You know like when we were yeah. when when I was when I was in high school like racism was racism, but like calling somebody gay as an insult was just a pretty commonplace thing. Or calling somebody a retard. Those are things that that people just did. And then awareness, whether it was whether it was sensitivity or sort of this hive mind, I think it was kind of a combination of both, has thoroughly wrung that out of people. That doesn't happen anymore that I'm aware of. Like not not in, in nearly the same way, because those are now groups that if you speak ill of them, that's an unforgivable sin. Yeah. So I don't I guess I don't know what to make of it though. I guess I'm trying to put myself in the position of a hiring person. You know, you go yeah, look back through somebody's yeah. social media, like what's what's the statute of limitations on like okay, you said something abhorrent in two thousand and one or two thousand and ten or two thousand and fourteen. Like when is it that I'm like that needs to be addressed? I think yeah, and I think one of the major issues is that again, and let, let's continue to to caveat that we're 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 not we're not standing behind any of those sorts of actions right. or uh, opinions, but at the same time, um, yeah, I think that the the question is what is it going to cost the employer? I think the employer is always looking at what is this going to cost me if this comes up in in a professional setting. And, you know, I'm looking at, you know, lawsuits or it comes back to my poor judgment because I I hired somebody that had a past that I wasn't aware of. So I think it's more it feels a lot of it feels, you know, very, uh, you know, driven by, you know, what can come up to, you know, bite, you know, the the company or the, you know, the employer um, and, and those types of things. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day. It's like, you know, there's there's like things at stake with that, right? right. There's reputations, there's money, there's there's, there's all of those job. things. There's yeah. your exactly, yeah, there's my job, yeah. But I don't know. I don't I think um I you know, the 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 context of course I would be thinking about it of it in would be the church, of course, which is like I the church is, you know, we've we've sort of established particular rules that say, you know, these things are automatic resignations or firings. You know, particular sins just automatically remove somebody from a position. And I, I don't even know that we're that clear on on that in terms of, hey, do, do you ever reinstate somebody, 
you know, after they've, you know, had a particular failure, whether it be like a moral failure or otherwise. And um, how, how do we how do we do that? Or are they just banned for life? And I, I've been having it's interesting because because I've been having some of these conversations with other pastors, you know, about like what what is the statute of limitations with that? You know, and nobody really has a clear answer. Yeah, to me, I think I feel like the banned for life thing is is absolutely it's it feels very legalistic to me in mm. the sense that legalism legalism draws hard boundaries where maybe the Bible draws fuzzy boundaries. Mm. You know, it, it the Bible calls for judgment and legalism just says, yeah, we're going to make a, a a black and white rule out of this. That to me is the is the um sort of lifetime ban on ministry attitude. Because, yeah. because it, I I don't I don't know. There, there doesn't seem to be too many cases where you see it in scripture, and there are a lot of people who were raised up in a ministry who had horrible backgrounds. Um, and I don't know that it makes a huge difference whether they were a professing believer at the time or not. That I mean, you, it gets very sort of theologically nuanced. But that to me seems like, like we are afraid to risk the grace of God. So we just wow. shun, we just sort of shun it all together. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah, no, that's man, that's that's a that that's an interesting way to put it, Pipe. I mean, we feel like we're risking the grace, the grace of God. That sounds like a nonfiction book that you should uh, that you should think about writing and that you should think about making as long as humanly possible. How, how does that how does how that many, sound? To you? Yes, just, well, <laughs> yes, I, I would I would write the concept in about the first three chapters. Um, then there would be like six chapters of examples and then like three chapters of summing things up and application because that's what every other Christian nonfiction book is. It seems like, which as Ronnie is doing as a pro here, that that is our next topic, which is why is every nonfiction book specifically Christian ones one third too long? Yeah, I think you're being generous with the one third. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm being generous because it's an. Impl- I'm also implying that they should all exist, which I, I believe at least one third or more shouldn't exist at all. So, um, yeah. if we cut if we cut the full list of non Christian books by one third, and then we cut a third out of the remaining two thirds, we're we're getting closer to reality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's so I've sort of had this long standing sort of gripe about, you know, your typical nonfiction Christian living, whatever you want to call it, you know, however we're going to like, whatever kind of tag we're going to put on it. I feel like all of those books to me feel, usually feel, they usually hit around like the two to 300 page mark. And I, I always wish that they were about 125 pages. Like I always wish that they were just small. And whenever I get a book that's just in that range, like I'm always pumped and I don't know why it matters. I don't know why it matters that I just, I'm more excited about it because I can finish it quicker. Like what's the difference? But there is something that makes me want to read it more if it's short than if it's long, even though like at the end of the day, what's the difference, right? You just read until you, until it's done. Right. But, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know why I feel that way, but I do get really excited about short books and I would love to see, I don't know about you, Pipe. I would love to see a publisher that's just committed to like 100-page books. Like just just that's it. That's the limit. We're not going to let anybody go over that. Well, I mean that's that's a – the problem is perceived value from the publisher's side. It, well, you know, of you, you can't yeah. You can't put a 1799 price point on a you know 96-page book um, unless you call it like a textbook or something. But uh, it – I mean pe- people will spend – 
if you gave people two options, they're like, you can go to Five Guys Burgers and you can get your milkshake and your burger and your French fries, uh, and it'll cost you whatever, like seventeen dollars, or you can go spend seventeen dollars on a two hundred and fifty page paperback. <laughs> they're very comfortable with the former and the latter. They're like, ugh, that's expensive. Even though one of those things will shorten their life and the other could actually, you know, improve and change their lives. But there's just sort of a perceived value in books that's an issue. I just I think it's funny how formulaic books are. Like you every almost every Christian book that I've that I've read that's that's published in the last, say, ten years. Some of the older ones they don't fall into it as much. They the first third of the book is what matters. The middle third of the book is for people who really want um, examples and applications. The last third of the book is a complete waste of time <laughs> almost every single time. And and it's just it, – it, it's a predictable rhythm. Like you get to that point where you're at about you know page 150 of 200 and you're like – You're Man, done. It's just a slog. And you look at you're the end and you're done. like, yeah, I don't yeah. even need to read the rest of this. Because they, I know, because there's this tendency that just, well, again, it goes back to our theological tradition too, though, man, which is like, if you can say it, if, if you could say it in five chapters, then you should probably make the book 12 chapters. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. It's like, like we're, we wouldn't be, well, again, there is that, there is that, there is the pressure from the publisher. Like if you turned in like, okay, pipe, if your pops turned in a book, which for him, it would be literally impossible, but let's just say. He turned in a book that had like six chapters. You read it, you go, dude, yeah, it's great. It, I don't know, I don't know what more you would add to it. I mean, like, what publisher would be satisfied with that? They, they wouldn't. They'd be like, well, you just wrote half a book, John. You know. <laughs> well, I mean, he's he's done a couple of those, but not not too many. Yeah, most of his. Yeah, are... I know. I have one of them. It was that Christmas devotion, and I really like it. But like, yeah, that's yeah. He did do one of those pipe. You're, well, you're I mean, right. he's you know when you've written sixty eight books or whatever he's done, you're bound to have a couple short ones in there. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're not you're just not always on your A game. You can't you can't do desiring God over and over again. It just gets. I mean, even though he's tried, it just it's hard. So, how do you keep from doing that when you write? Um. I think the see the thing is I, I think the best thing any writer can do is not um, is is kind of is is set out to not feel like you have to follow a formula like you just mm-hmm. laid out. It's like just write from the heart. So right now Sojourn is starting to do uh, paperback books and they're they're how to books. You know, so they're super practical. Most of them are actually pretty short, so they're about a hundred pages, which I like. And they're supposed to just kind of get right to the point, lay it out, be a good resource for pastors, deacons, teams, you know, things of that nature. And I'm, I'm editing. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, they, they pulled me in to be the, the general, you know, the managing editor for this series. And um, so what's, what's interesting for, is that— For listeners, a managing editor is something that gives somebody the aura of authority, <laughs> uh, an enormous amount of ticky-tack work trying to wrangle cats— and no additional money. That's what being a managing editor is. You know what? Just I, wanted, I don't just think wanted I to clarify that. Really. I couldn't have said it better myself, Pipe. But um, but the what's really funny is this, though, Pipe. I think you'll find this interesting. So a lot of these guys are first time authors, and so the conversation that I've been having with them because they they have you know they have a good concept that we've approved of and we like it, and they've they've maybe you know spoken about this concept and they know some things about it. But they all – the first question they always ask me is, okay, what, what, what are you looking for? Like what, what format? Like what kind of points should I have? Like what am, I, what am I aiming at? And I said, dude, just write. 
I said, just write whatever you want to write. Like, I know a lot of these guys. I'm like, I want your personality in it. Just write. If it's four chapters, it's four chapters. I go, just just write. We want, we want to hear your voice in this. I go, so if I give you this template or this outline and you stick to it, it's almost like one person could just write every book. What's the difference? And I said, that's kind of not what I want. I want, I want there to be some uniqueness within the voice, the voicings right. of the book. Right. And there, and that just, and for some of these guys, again, it's personality, right? Some of these guys are like, oh, thank you. I just, I feel like a burden has been lifted. I thought I was going to have to fit into this particular, you know, template that, that you wanted. And I said, I said, no, just write. And then other guys are just, that's not them. They really just almost want you to tell them what to write in some ways. Well, right. I mean, I, I can get that from a format standpoint. There, there's an element of uh, there's an element of sort of direction and being like, okay, we want it to be, a, you know, a, this approximate word count. We want right. it to be to you know to kind of feel like this, you know, so aimed at this kind of audience or communicated at this level. But that's which is a, fine. That's yeah. a different thing than saying you know it's going to be seven chapters and you want to hit these points because then yeah, then it's a you you've sort of robbed them of probably why you got them to do it in the first place, which is a unique voice, unique perspective. Yeah, you suck is. the personality out of it. And I think what I think a lot of times when you read because we're you know, when a lot of these nonfiction books that you read now, like if you like if you never knew who wrote it, you might think the same person wrote it. Absolutely. Wrote like Twenty of the books, you know. Well maybe Ted not, maybe you know. Ted Ghost wrote them all. <laughs> Only if they're sports books, man. That's true. Only if they're sports well, I, books. You know, I bet I bet he's an equal opportunity ghostwriter. Like, I, I think ghostwriting is the stupidest thing. Ted is, um, let's call him an opportunist when it comes to that. Yeah. And uh, he'll, he'll happily take somebody's money to write a book and let them put their name on it, as long as they treat him decently in the process. I've literally never had, nobody, I've never gotten that offer to ghostwrite anything. I've, I've done one, done. and... Uh, it was a valuable experience because it taught me why I will only ever do one. That was it. Yep. Never again. Well, it you was will all... never again ghostwrite a book that's thirty percent too long. Uh, yeah, this one was probably thirty percent too long. Um, it was. It was a series of sermons that I turned into a book for somebody. Oh, it was also okay. before I'd ever written any books, and so it was valuable in that it showed me what it looks like to write, you know, forty thousand words. Um, I never, yeah. you know, I had never done that. And so I got done and I was like, well, I can write 40,000 words and I think I can do it better than that guy. Um, so, uh, that was, that was my, a little kickstart to get into real writing. But so do you think, do you think that, do you think it's a publisher thing or do you think it's an author thing where people are, are imitating the form that they see around them and like, this is what it's supposed to sound like. So the classic, every chapter starts with a, you know, story. when yeah. I was riding a camel across the, you know, Kalahari mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, looking up at the stars in the sky and like, you know, you get those stories or, you know, when I was traveling with compassion to Honduras, along with 9,000 other youth group kids and matching t-shirts, are those, every chapter starts with that. Is that a formula that people like the publisher saying, or do people just think that's how, that's how Christian books are supposed to work? I think it's. I think it's probably both. I would say it's more driven by the writers than it is the the publishers, and I think it's driven by uh, it's it's driven by what you hear in sermons these days, which is always you know that formula of starting with the story, yeah, um, laying out where you're going, 
and having, you know, five points or whatever and, you know, some application. So I, it's almost like to me when you read a lot of these books, whether, and again, whether they're by people that are inv- pastors themselves or people that are somehow involved in ministry, I just think that that has become sort of the way and the, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the way to draw people in you know, so to speak. And so, yeah, I think it's become incredibly for- formulaic, you know what I mean? Because they're all, they all follow that format just in the same way that when you hear preachers, they kind of all follow that, that particular format, which is kind of fascinating, you know? Yeah, it, it is, it, it's interesting. Because where do we get, where do we get it from is what I want to know. Well, right? I, it is, it is, yeah, well, it goes to show that everybody is, is constantly sort of, looking to poach you know they're constantly poaching what other people are doing the problem is that you know so everybody started poaching because i don't know andy stanley did it first or something and then and then everybody started copying everybody else or maybe it was bill hybels because he was around before andy stanley i don't know and uh and then when everybody's copying everybody and they're all doing the exact same thing yeah you just get it's like restaurants in nashville like it's the same farm to table you know, served on a plank at every single one of them. Yeah. And so if like, something oh, works, you just do what works. Right. It's our fresh, yeah. it's our fresh take on, you know, a burger and you're like, burger's been around forever. You don't need a fresh take a burger. You just need to grill it. And, uh, <laughs> and that's, that's kind of what I feel like about sermons. I'm like, Bible's been around for a long time. Not a lot of fresh takes. Well, dude, I mean, it's like I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and it's like it's interesting how we've locked into a formula that you really don't even see in Scripture, which is really fascinating. Like when you hear like Peter preach that one sermon and Paul preach that one sermon, like they don't they don't preach the way we preach right now, like at all. And by the way, neither does Jesus, you know. And so you just, but whoa, it's like whoa, kind of whoa, funny whoa. that like we Jesus doesn't yeah, copy Andy I, Stanley. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he starts, with, he starts with a really funny story and then no, but, um, and again, some of those things are just the rules of communication too, though. You know what I mean? If, if you saw, it's not just preachers. It's like, if you see a, if you see a communicator up on stage for any sort of thing, whether it's a seminar or a talk on something, I mean, that's typically how they start. You know yeah. what I mean? They, they rope you in, they tell you something that is going to connect you, your life with what they're driving at. Yeah, and the, then they, then the they Ted, take it from it's there. The, it, there's a little bit of that Ted talk sort of uh influence on everything yeah like the strong opener pull them in make your points and then conclude with sort of the like hopeful the hopeful future kind of thing i mean i've i've sat down and looked at you know studied outlines of of what like that's a spider diagram is what they call it of uh of good presentations and that, that those are all the components the the crazy thing is that when it comes to like christian communication that's not compelling to me yeah, it feels because that's a compelling presentation if you're trying to sell something or if you're trying to, um, you know, if you're trying if you're trying to like hook somebody into something that they're not right. sold on. Right. Which in one sense you're trying to do with the gospel. But in another sense, it's like, well, the idea should just speak for itself. So just get to the point. Well, dude, in that. OK, so there's been a few guys that's funny you say that, man, because there's what I've noticed is that I, I've noticed dudes that just go right like they begin with the text. That's so rare now. It's so like your your dad kind of does that. I, I think I saw him do that at that, that conference we were at last 
Gospel Coalition. God, yeah. Um, like the he God, gets up there, gospel. doesn't say a word. He just he opens the, the Bible and he just reads the text. He does no, he has no intro. Right. You know what I mean? The intro is the text, you know? And, um, but I mean, dude, that, that feels weird. Like that feels almost, that feels like creative. You know what I mean? It's like instead of <laughs> getting up like, there and ooh, doing the savvy. It's a, that's it. This is a new philosophy of communication. Well, kind of, man, because it's like, it's like just getting down into it. It's like, dude, I don't have to, I don't have to set anything up. I'm just going to read it and then we're just going to get right into it. And so there was almost, and like when he did that, I was like, that's, he's the only guy here that did that. You know what I mean? That literally opened the Bible, read the text and just got right into it. Doesn't try to, he doesn't try to say, so what I'm going to do and kind of lay out his outline and, you know, all those types of things. He just got right into it. And the only thing you knew was the title, you know, that was printed in the bulletin yeah. of what. And then once be. he started, you're like, oh, we're looking at this text. Yeah, dude. What so that was, that was almost kind of progressive. Would that work know? in book form? I mean, I guess that's kind of what he does in his books too, but uh, I don't read most of them, so I wouldn't know. Um, it, I'm just, trying, I don't know. I'm just trying to I imagine a book that just jumps right in and they're like, you know, John, that's, that's John true. three says, and then just, just goes. See, that feels, that, that feels academic to me. That feels dry instead of like, Hey, hold on. See, I don't mind people like talk. I, I actually prefer people talking about their lives a little bit more than a funny story. I, I, I'm always really interested when a guy talks about like, like like himself or herself. I I, I appreciate that because oh don't say like a that. Truth every that. every aspiring millennial author on here is just so thrilled that Ronnie wants them to write about <laughs> themselves. No, well, they're, they're nobody going cares. Anyway. We're not interested. Don't well, no, write I don't about care. yourself. I, I don't care if you're twenty one, but um, you know, I'm I'm talking about you at some point after you've had some experience. You know, that's so. yeah. Well, and and I think. Yes, life, life experience, life examples, those are the things. What makes Christian books, and well, in business books, are the exact same way. What makes them 30% too long is repetition. Absolutely. It's because, you know, there's the old preaching philosophy of tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, tell them what you told them, which maybe makes more sense in verbal communication because repetition helps remember. But if it's written down, you don't need to repeat yourself. They can just turn back a few pages and see it. They can reread the book. They can underline and go back and find it. So when you start repeating and summing up for a third of the book, you have wasted everybody's time. Well, dude, yeah. But I think, honestly, what you said in the beginning was spot on. I mean, can a publisher char- charge $17.99 or do they have to charge $9.99? I mean, it's like – and it really all is down to how much material the author delivered them. So it's like, dude, can you just deliver me a, a, you know, a few more pages so we can bump the price of the book? Which, to be honest, I, I get. I'm not, I'm not even here to argue that. It's like they're the ones selling it. You know, Absolutely. Yeah. When, so here's here was my philosophy on that with all three of my books. The first one was by accident. The the next two were where I did it. I did it more on purpose, which is turn in a really lean manuscript. So I was mm-hmm. supposed to be you know forty thousand, fifty thousand words, whatever it was, and I turned in something about six or seven thousand words under that, which I know a lot of people can't do. They're they're constantly worrying about what to cut. I just I just don't write it in the first place. I don't cut much. Um, yeah. And then that way the editor can, would come back and go, well, we need a little bit more. And then I could say, where do you need it? Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah. They would go through and put their finger on different places that would benefit from some additional something. Yeah. Like you had a good or, point. You just need to flesh it out a little yeah, bit further. Th- this could yeah. use a, a good example or flesh this, tell a little bit more of this story. 
that's helpful and that's good editing. Whereas just just adding stuff in because we need to get to 240 pages, which I have never written a 240 page book, so I don't know what that's like. But uh, that <laughs> quantity is not the same as quality when it comes to written words, not even remotely. Yeah, man, I'm with you, man. I would love I would love everything to get shorter. I would be a, I'd be I'd be super. I'd except, be excited except about all for books. your sermons. Even my sermons. You I'm would love go, for your gonna, sermons to be shorter. I don't know, man. I've done pretty good the last couple of weeks. I did. A, I've done a couple of thirty-two minuters, and uh, you know, I, I feel I feel good about that. You, I feel, you feel good like, about. You don't I feel hit. like you shortchanged anybody. They got what they they got what they paid for. No, because that's just that's just what I have. So I feel like sometimes what I have is forty. Most of the time, it's thirty-five, and when I'm really happy, it's thirty, and I like it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. There's just so. you know, if you're in a good mood. What, what's there to gripe and yell about? You know what it is, Pipe? For me, it's literally when I have a really when – I, when I don't have much written on the page, I tend to go longer because I'm, I'm finding stuff. Whereas if I, would just, if I would just write a few more things on the page, I can go shorter. So that's <laughs> – it, it is yeah. funny how that works. I think that's why some people manuscript. It's because it keeps them on point. It does, man. It keeps you short. But speaking of being in bad moods and griping and yelling, we have one more thing to gripe and yell about. And this is courtesy of a listener. Um, uh, the the title of this website should tell listeners all they need to know about where this is going. It's called glutenfreeandmore.com. So if you just visit that site, you will you'll probably get in a bad mood too. But uh, it is there's an article about food free celebrations, dude. Which sounds like you know carol free christmas or turkey free thanksgiving or you know, i don't even know what that means yeah gift free birthday yeah you know, and it's wife it's, wife free marriage yeah I, I don't, yeah I don't even it's like food free lunch like what what that right. i don't I don't understand so it's not okay. a world i want to live oh in. here's a, here's a great sentence so the whole thing is built around like celebrating birthdays specifically at schools, you know, so some kids have allergies and they feel left out and boohoo. Um, but the, the sentence is many parents feel it is, and this is emphasized. It is their right to celebrate their child's birthday with a food treat, healthy or not. Some parents feel that they do not need to provide or be concerned with providing a treat that includes all classroom children, yada, yada, yada. Um, I, I think that's true. Actually. I think, I think it is my right to send in cupcakes with my kids. And if somebody's gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, nut-free, like it's on their parents to provide the snack, right? Yeah, sure. Sure. Is it, I mean, am, am I, I realize that I'm a jerk, but am I being a jerk in a distinct way here? No, I don't. Pipe, I don't think so, man. I, you know, I mean, and, you know, and I, and I realized that I was a kid back in like the 1940s now, but like. I, I don't. We didn't have all the options. <laughs> all the options back then. It was just, you know, you were just happy to have anything, you know, and yeah, it was I, it was I, acceptable, right? I yeah. I well, I I feel like food allergies have been made up over the years too. I don't remember. I remember kids had like peanut allergies when I was when I was in school. Yeah, but, that would have been the thing for you. Yeah, but that for was sure. it. Like. And, but here's yeah. the thing. Like, those are the kind of peanut allergies that were like, if they touch a peanut, they go into anaphylactic shock and, yeah. you know, it's life-threatening. That's a different thing than I have a sensitive tummy if I eat gluten. Well, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. The, the whole thing, though, is just – I don't know. I just felt like it was worthy of our attention because the phrase food-free celebration 
deserves <laughs> just it, it deserves something. Pipe, I wish you could have lived in my era when it was before kids like had allergies. It's before those allergies. Like I, the only thing I can remember is like some kids couldn't like they were maybe they were like they couldn't drink milk. They're like lactose intolerant, but that's not even what they called it back then. But even then um, it was like, don't give him milk because then you got to sit by him in class. And that's nasty. I mean, it wasn't yeah, like it wasn't yeah, like yeah. a danger thing. It was like a pseudo humorous thing. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't because the kid was going to die. And I think there was the peanut allergies, too, to be honest, man. I do remember that. But I don't really I don't remember it ever being like a thing. And I don't remember like really even none of my friends. I don't remember any of my friends not being able to like eat a bunch of different things. And if there was like that one kid in class that wasn't able to, it was almost like it was like it was kind of it, it really stuck out. Right. Because yeah. it wasn't like every other kid was like that. It was like, oh, weird. So so hold on. So you can't eat that. You know, no, I can't eat it. It almost like made him a quasi celeb. You know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, I mean, and I can't eat this and that and that. And, and I'll that. die if I eat that. Isn't that cool? Exactly. I, I, yeah, isn't that I remember awesome? there, was, there was a kid named Brian who I went to elementary school with. Really, really nice guy. You know, he was always the tallest kind of gawky kid in the class. And he had all sorts of dietary restrictions yeah. that, that were that nobody was familiar with. And every time we had like we would go on field trips or anything, he would bring along like a case full of his own sort of whatever it was like raw almonds or whatever he could eat. Yeah. And uh, and he never complained. And he never like cried to his mom. And I asked him, I was like, how do you feel about this? And he's like, well. I don't know. I get a snack too. And, and, uh, wow. And I know I was like, I just, I feel like Brian, he's an accountant now. Brian is what everybody should aspire to be. You know, if you don't get your cupcake, like, cause you'd chosen not to eat gluten. Oh, well, like that's on you. Or, or if your kid can't eat the treat that's brought in, well, send them with something else and tell them not to cry about it. Yeah, I don't dude, that's it. It's funny, man. I, you know, what's so funny, man, is I so so here's here's a little insight into Big R. Like I, I literally, I, you could argue that I celebrate almost every moment of my life with food. So like, if I, <laughs> so dude, I'm not kidding, man. Like, so if I got to run out the door for Big M, right, and I got to, hey, can you, man, would you mind running to the store because I, you know, I forgot to grab this one thing. I'd be like, yeah. Like I literally go straight to the pantry and grab something to eat on the drive, like the mile drive to like whatever the store is to like get the thing. Like there, like there is not a moment where I ever leave the house and I don't have like a handful of like almonds or like whatever I have, like like Brian, like your friend Brian, right? Like it's a, cel- always- it's a celebration of commute, dude. I just like I don't want to do anything without food, <laughs> literally. Like I I don't want to do anything. I always want to have some food item nearby because it does. It takes what's mundane in life and it makes it into something just even in just an ounce better. So it's like the, I, I can't even imagine doing anything without food because I just to me, it's like motivation, right? It's like, oh, I got to go do that. Well, cool. Let me uh, let, let me grab a bowl and stick a bunch of something in it. And then here you can hold that while I drive and then I'll, I'll eat it while we're driving. You know what I mean? It's like that kind of thing. Yeah, that's I'm, just me. I'm with you. Like I, I keep food in my car. You know, the kind that's not going to get nasty when it gets hot and stuff with all yeah. like sunflower seeds and stuff because it's they, they're just always there. And I keep a cup so I can spit the shells in them. And it's just it's Pipe, a it's a great thing to eat, man. Yes. it's a fun thing. It's a fun thing to do this thing we have called eating. It's, it's yes. Fun. Okay, so with that in mind, and before we wrap this thing up, so some of the suggestions in this article for rep- these are replacements for food, so we can celebrate with these instead of food. As if, as if these are legitimate substitutes. All right. I would well, just like I mean, okay. 
here's the question, Ronnie. Are any of these things better than food or better without food? Okay. Uh, So wacky hair day. So I guess we're thinking about like elementary school students. Probably not Ronnie Martin. I know you don't want a wacky hair day. Um, Wacky hair day. Better. Is that better without food? No. No. I mean, there should be something there to celebrate all the, the you know, the moose and the hairspray and right. all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's, yes, exactly. You know, somebody's got an amazing, like, spiky purple mohawk. Uh, it, it goes better with donuts. Um, favorite book day? Um, I mean, okay, so because I said I like everything with food, I, I, won't, I won't make it so one-lined here, but that, that, that feels ridiculous. That, that doesn't require food to me. Favorite book day does not require food? I mean, that's just not a that, – that to me doesn't denote celebration. You that's know? true. Like it <laughs> – I'm trying to imagine walking into third grade and being like, hey, guys, it's my birthday. What's your favorite book? <laughs> They're going to be yeah, like, exactly. uh, where's the Kit Kat bars? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not quite. It's not going to happen like that. Uh, pajama day. Yeah, that feels like one of those. That feels like kind of a quasi like Halloween day. Yeah, bring some cupcakes in yeah, for that. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing: like when you get up on a Saturday morning, well, maybe I don't know. You're you're on a pastor schedule, so maybe it's like a Tuesday morning. Whichever morning is your most leisurely. Yeah, I you want to roll out of bed and go make bacon and eggs and yeah, drink pancakes, coffee yeah, or absolutely. get donuts. Like that, yeah. that's your pajamas. So pajama day, best with food. Um, yeah. Backwards day that. That just sounds like a nuisance. Um, yeah, that's just yeah, that's just dumb. Let's not make something yeah, out of that, something that's. Let's not skip that, that one altogether. Wild yeah. sock day. Um, I think every day is wild sock day for those people who are required to wear slacks to work. Yeah, these are just made up like new school things. Yeah, keep going. Uh, team spirit day. Since <sighs> since when does team spirit like that goes best with like popcorn and hot dogs and nachos and all sorts of things. That's, yeah, I, I never celebrated that day, so like, you, have to, you have to help me with that. Man. Did you ever attend any school athletic events from any of the – I realize you went to like small Christian schools that probably only had like girls volleyball and like men's tennis, but did you ever attend anything? I, I'm going to let you in on something right now, and it's going to be a shocker, so I want you to, I want you to hold, hold the seat you're sitting in right now, man. I'm I, was on, I was on the freshman varsity basketball team in high school. Was it freshman or varsity? Because usually those are not the same thing. It was Christian school, so that should make everything <laughs> seem normal and rational to you right now. <laughs> oh, yes. How tall were you in ninth grade? Not tall, man. Not tall at all. So I was like five foot seven, something like that. Yes. Well, but I mean, in ninth so grade, that's, you know, that's, I would like to see Ronnie play basketball. That would be fun. So I did um, all that. I did it, man. I was there. I did it. I'm the sports guy. And you know what else is better with food? Uh, freshman varsity basketball is better with food, whether you're being forced to watch it or enjoying playing it. So everything, everything is better with food. This article is absurd. Uh, as Ted would say, Judas Priest. Judas and- Priestess. And I yes, Judas Priestess because I think it, it yes it was a it was a woman who wrote this so Judas Priestess and uh, I think I think we can probably wrap this thing up. Any, yeah, uh, I think it, any finishing closing comments about food or or books or anything else? No, I don't think so. I think I'm still slightly fascinated by uh, by Big T's love for uh, for camp and uh, 
even seeing that picture with him in the kilt. And it wasn't even the kilt that got me. It was like he was standing in that sort of camp thing where it's all like a cabin and it's all like the it's like the old like, you know, yeah. you know, the wood panels like the and orangey it's just, wood paneling, the orangey wood panels. And dude, they're all of those spaces are like that. And it just brought me back to all of those moments. And, te- and I'm looking I at Ted. I'm like, it. dude, I could smell yeah, it you through can smell the picture. It. Yeah, and it smells it, and somehow it always smells like you know old meatloaf or something in there, and like, and I'm just thinking, Ted, here's the thing, man. I know that you love it right now, man. I know that he's oh, just loving it. You could it. tell by the look on his face. He even like struck a pose with like a toe point. Now maybe that's because kilts yeah. require toe points. Without maybe. having discussed this with a, a, a Scotsman recently, I'm not sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he. I mean, he was. He struck a a confident, gleeful, like yeah. self-satisfied pose. He loved being Big part T, of it. The, the resident gleeful Scotsman of the Happy Rat. I just remember That's- the name of the camp. It's Camp Barakel. I feel like I, I, I buried the lead on this one, but we gave them a lot of love last week. I, so. How do you even remember? What does that name even mean, dude? How do you I, remember that name? I don't know. I think because I was just, I was just meditating on Ted's deep affection for camp and it just sort of transferred through through sort of osmosis through the photo to me of like that's what that is that's what that means to ted what's a, i mean what what's a barrakel is it like one of those like water moccasin snakes or something <laughs> like what what is it <laughs> okay let me give you well without you didn't grow up in the north midwest so um almost every camp is near a body of water usually usually a lake yeah. Um, especially, uh, especially Michigan, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the lakes are almost all named after they, they're either like really generic names, like long Lake, red Lake, or they're, they're, they're Indian names. So mm-hmm. they're names that mean nothing to anybody. Uh, I, you know, English speakers robbed native American words and slapped them on camps and then put Baptist in the name or something like that. So that's that's where they get those names. So it's all Indian names. Um, I'm sure that's what Barakel is. It's probably on Lake Barakel, if I was going to ah, guess, okay. because gotcha. that's how this works. There's just a formula to it. And they all smell the same. They all look the same. They all have the exact same pine trees and the same like little ratty baseball field and yeah, it's so forth. So that is that's the shape of it. We, we, you, if you've been to one, you've been to them all, and Ted loves them all. Ted probably wishes he could like – he could like you know buy one of those camps and just run it like year round. Like that would be that'd be such a great fit for him. Just Can like you running imagine his own Ted camp, camp director. I mean, I, the thing is, I kind I, I kind of can. I mean, you know what I mean? In the I, sense that really? like just just loving all those kids coming in. You know what I mean? Especially if it was like a like a football camp, you know, or something like that. Yeah, like he, that's true. He if they could just, do like a sports camp it. part of it, that's true. I can and see then if that. he was the guy that was like, you know, he had like a big picture of himself back in his semi-pro days up on the, you know, up on the on the orange wood wall, you know, everybody comes in and go, oh, wow, it's Ted Club. And he you would, know? you know, I went to one camp growing up where every, like every cabin was named after a different kind of tree. Totally. So it was like oak, pine, elm, yeah. you know, sumac, whatever. And uh, he would name all of his after like, defunct football teams totally man it would be dude he would be in heaven he'd be absolutely in heaven and uh you know uh maybe it's maybe it's something maybe it's something he can think about for i think we should run this by him because i know that he's always kind of got the itch for what's next you know he loves his job he speaks very highly of it but but you know he's a four he's always looking for that unique experience it's true 
I think a defunct football-themed uh, Christian camp in northern Michigan might be right up Ted's alley. I Always. think he would. I think he would absolutely. He'd be back in Michigan. He would dig it, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Now we just need to raise a little capital for him. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, I guess we'll stop there now that we've settled Ted's future. Uh, listeners, thanks for tuning in. We haven't asked you this in a long, long time, so I'm just going to throw it out there now. If you haven't, would you jump on iTunes and leave us uh, a rating and review? Your review can be as negative as possible, but please make it a five-star rating. Um, we only want five-star ratings. Ted has said this many times. We're not interested in anything less than that. Say all the mean things you want in the review, though. We find those amusing. So jump on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. Uh, check out Lagaris Roasters. Our, our partner coffee roaster. Check out Mission Aware, who sells all of our swag. You can get moleskins and coffee mugs and pint glasses and T-shirts and all sorts of stuff. I'm actually drinking out of one of their coffee mugs right now. It's nice. lovely. As you should. As, As I should, should be. Uh, and until next time, Rachel the Held Evans. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Dedicating time each day to spend feeding our minds and our hearts the truth of God's Word is immensely helpful in our growth as followers of Christ. I'm John Stonge, and each day I host a show called Daily Devotions with Pastor John. On the show, I spend just a few minutes taking an applicational look at one or two verses of Scripture before coming to the Lord in prayer. If you'd like to make a habit of spending more time meditating on the truth of God's Word, you can listen to Daily Devotions with Pastor John at lifeaudio.com or on your favorite podcasting app.